Welcome, guys, to another episode of Speak Film. This is Carlos Reneso, filmmaker, cinephile, and today's episode is Mifune, The Last Samurai. Stay tuned. So, Mifune, The Last Samurai, a documentary released in 2015, directed by Stephen Okazaki. And let me just say, this was a knockout of a documentary. A completely eye-opening experience. So much that I did not know. So, for example, I did not know Mifune was born and raised in China until he was 20 years old. I didn't know he served in the military and in the war. He initially applied to be a camera assistant, not an actor. He had his own production company later on after his movie stardom. Uh, he died of Alzheimer's and... There's even a, a small uh, tidbit in there about how his agent told him to turn down Star Wars. I think George Lucas wanted him to be Obi-Wan Kenobi, the role that Alec Guinness played. Just just think about that and how uh, that just goes to show you how much he affected, how much Mifune affected world cinema and American audiences. And speaking of world cinema, the documentary really showed me just how much of a giant he was in cinema, him and, and Kurosawa. Eventually, the story, eventually the documentary goes into their their relationship and their friendship, their partnership, their collaboration, and both are giants in the world of cinema. And you can't mention one without the other, which is the beautiful part uh, of the documentary and Mufune and uh, Kurosawa's career. But thinking about it, I can't really think about another relationship like it. It's very few in cinema. I mean, just off the top of my head, I can think of Scorsese and Robert De Niro, uh, Igmar Bergman and Liv Altman, but I, I can't think of any others, um, which is a special thing in cinema. Uh, Mifune also seemed to live life to the fullest. He worked a lot, but he also had fun hobbies like cars and depending who you talk to, drinking alcohol. I didn't know that he would uh, drink in Shibuya and fight gangsters. Uh, but uh, there was also so many on-set photographs I had never seen of him in Kurosawa in between setups. They, they, like I said before, they both are giants in cinema. He just seemed to live so many different lives. Uh, he was a soldier, an actor, a movie star, then a businessman. Uh, there's photos of him sweeping and cleaning his, his uh, sets. The film, it, it captured this beautifully. I didn't know why him and Kurosawa had stopped working together after such a fruitful, successful partnership. Many collaborators of theirs in the film don't know exactly why, but I su suppose that they suspect is what Sorsese mentioned, which is sometimes you just outgrow each other. And of course, you, like I said before, you can't mention one without the other. It's impossible. Their, their partnership and collaboration is forever cemented in cinematic history. And there's so many of his films that I have yet to see, like Red Beard and The Hidden Fortress, which I think they're both pretty long films, so... I want to be ready and prepared for it for when I actually sit down and watch it. And also, Mifune's work with Hiroshi Inagaki, another uh, film director, which I think their film, their, his films are in color, which is kind of cool to see uh, Mifune in color. I felt lucky and grateful watching this documentary because you get to peek behind the curtain. Like, what was Kurosawa like on set? He was serious and intense. How was Mifune on set? He would show up early and during lunch always eat ramen, play blackjack, and play cards. 
their films now, I have a different perspective and appreciation for them. And this is the kind of documentary that you should watch if you watch one of their films. Like if you watch Seven Samurai or High and Low or Stray Dog, this is definitely a film that you should watch uh, right after or within that same same week because, again, you'll gain a different appreciation, a, a higher appreciation for their collaboration. Now let's talk a little bit about uh, the people that are in the documentary. We have a lot of uh, collaborators that worked with uh, Mifune. People like Kanzo Uni, he was a sword fighting choreographer and the documentary says he was killed by Mifune more than a hundred times. There was Teruyo Nogami, she was a script supervisor and she worked with Kurosawa on 20 films over 50 years. There was the actress Kyoko Kagawa. She was in Tokyo Story. There's uh, Yosuke Natsuki, actor who co-starred in 13 Mifune films. And he says that they were in the studio 350 days out of 365 days. Again, it goes back to how hard Mifune worked. There's also the uh, another actress, Yoko, Tsu Yoko Tsukasa. She co-starred with Mifune 11 times. And she shares the, the uh, really interesting uh, information like Toho Studios, they didn't make movies for women. And for a good part, she had to go to Chiku Studios. And these collaborators, they're basically living legends. And the fact that they're still here in the flesh talking about their collaboration with Kurosawa and Mifune, I mean, it's, it's we're really lucky as an audience to get to kind of relive what they did in a sense and it, it's a it's a special documentary because of this they're older but they have so much experience so much life experience and so much film experience that they can share what kurosawa and mifune were like on set so many interesting anecdotes about their personalities and about their working styles so the, the documentary definitely benefits from this and they they there's even also um kurosawa's eldest son He's Hisao Kurosawa. He's in the film. And um, also one of uh, Mifune's sons. I think his name is Shiro Mifune. He's also in the documentary. Now, Kurosawa and Mifune, they worked on 16 films together over 18 years. And I've actually only seen half of their filmography together. So that's something that I have to fix. I've only seen High and Low, Yojimbo, Sanjuro, The Lower Depths. Throne of Blood, Seven Samurai, Rashomon, probably my least favorite. But interestingly enough, after watching the documentary and watching uh, Mufune in it, I, I have to go back and rewatch it and I have to give it another chance because it's literally the film that, that made him a star, that broke him and Kurosawa internationally. And Stray Dog, how could I forget? I also love how the documentary it goes into the beginning of Japanese cinema. And as soon as the Lumiere brothers invented cinema, invented you know, movies, it was kabuki plays and costume dramas with lots of sword fighting that the Japanese started to make. These pictures, they were called chambara pictures. And basically chambara comes from the sound of clashing swords. Uh, the, these, these pictures, they took place during Japan's feudal period, the 14th to the 19th century basically the era, era of the samurai. And 
it's really cool because uh, some of these, not many, but some of these Chambara pictures survived. And we in the documentary shows a few clips from them, of course, black and white. But it was really cool to see that. And it's something that I, I have to do some more research on and actually try to see if I can watch any of them. Because that's really interesting history there. Think about it. You're literally watching the, the beginning of Japanese cinema, but also the earliest uh, samurai movies. Mufune was born April 1st, 1920 in China. His father struggled to keep his still photography studio going. And at age 20, Mufune was drafted into the Imperial Army and he set foot in Japan at age 20 for the first time. Wow. After the war, the US occupation, they banned sword fighting films for seven years. Basically their production. And when the ban lifted, Kurosawa made Seven Samurai. Uh, they talked to Haruo Nakajima in the documentary, and he's the one that portrayed both Godzilla and a bandit in Seven Samurai. And Kurosawa told Nakajima that the fighting has to feel real, and it's, this isn't just another samurai film. Uh, Kurosawa left it up to Mifune to develop his character for Seven Samurai. And according to Teruyo Nogami, Kurosawa never gave Mifune instructions. He let him research his character. Nogami actually confirms what I already knew, but I just needed confirmation that the arrows used in the finale of Throne of Blood were actually real arrows, and the archers were college students. She also says that there was no life, ins no, uh, life insurance, um, I guess, uh, for, the, for the film. Uh, and she, she kind of answers this question, which is interesting. And it gives you a sort of peek at the relationship between and, and the respect between Kurosawa and Mifune. Why did he do such a dangerous scene? She, she asked. I think it was from the war, his loyalty. He felt an obligation to Kurosawa. She also mentions how since Kurosawa made him a star, Mifune felt indebted to him forever. After Throne of Blood, over the next four years, Mufune appeared in 27 films. I just thought, how is that even possible? There's also, the documentary also has 8mm footage of on-set footage of Yajimbo being made, which is amazing. And it's footage that I have to get my hands on. I have to check YouTube and see if there's any footage of that. Uh, they also talk about how Kurosawa made Yajimbo as this movie that was supposed to be fun and entertaining, not such a serious picture. It was a success and Toll Studios wanted him to make more product like that, more commercial product like that. Um, then after Yajimbo came out, of course, you had America making a lot of similar westerns and you had Sergio Leone making A Fistful of Dollars in Italy. So Yajimbo, again, similar to Rashomon, it just influenced the world. Uh, world cinema. Later, Toho Studios convinced Mufuni to start his own production company. He had 250 employees under him and he faced a lot of more pressure. Um, Mufuni Productions, they churned out mostly predictable movies. To keep his production company afloat, he turned to television. And one of his last prominent roles was in this American television miniseries called Shogun in 1980, which I have to see. And then the film goes into his declining years where he was on set and couldn't remember his lines due to Alzheimer's. But one of the most beautiful parts in the film is the ending where Kurosawa 
writes him a letter and the letter is read at Mofuni's funeral and it's really a beautiful letter. Uh, the documentary has one of the actresses that worked with them read it. I think it's Kyoko. Uh, let me see. It was uh, Kyoko Kagawa that reads an excerpt from the letter. And I'll give you a little bit of the excerpt. I'll read a little bit of it now, which is a beautiful letter. We were part of the golden age of Japanese cinema together. When I look back at each and every film, I couldn't have made them without you. You gave so much of yourself. Thank you, my friend. For one last time over a bottle of sake, I wish I could have told you all this. Goodbye, my friend. I'll see you soon. Kurosawa died a little less than a year later. But again, these two, you can't mention one without the other. And it goes back to how much respect and love and admiration they had for each other's work. That's it. Um, This documentary, quite frankly, one of my favorite documentaries on the cinema. And like I said before, if you watch a Kurosawa and Mifune film, just have this right next in your queue because it's necessary to watch. It's necessary to see just how much work and just how much hard work they they put into making their films. And you again, you'll gain a different appreciation for them when you watch this documentary. There's no one today in cinema like Mafune. He was truly one of a kind. There's no one that was that handsome, that that had that kind of physical presence and he's truly missed in the cinema. I think for me, the next step would be to finish off uh, watching the films that he made with Kurosawa, the other eight that I have to see. I have to also see Mifune's work with Japanese film director Hiroshi Inagaki. I have to visit Toho Studios in Japan In the documentary, they have this uh, footage of the studio today, and it it looks just vibrant, and and there's this towering building that I have to to visit. And also, I'm going to print out some of the still photos from the documentary, which I have as screenshots. Those still photos are just beautiful and and pristine, and I want to print some of them out so I could have them as posters. But yeah, uh, definitely watch this documentary, Mafune, The Last Samurai. So that's it for me, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Speak Film. I'll be back tomorrow with a special treat. I'll be talking about two films. This is not a film and Taxi by Jafar Panahi. He's an, an Iranian filmmaker. He was uh, banned from filmmaking for 20 years, um, which is unfathomable, but I'll be talking about that. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of uh, Speak Film Podcast. I'll be back tomorrow. Peace.